guys, welcome back to Let's Talk About It. I'm Jackie. And I'm Megan. And today we're doing our very first different kind of podcast. <laughs> disagreement. Where <we're> disagreement. <laughs> where we're going to be discussing topics that we don't agree with on each other and asking the other person questions and just trying to other understand the other person's view while explaining our own view. Because Megan is Protestant and I am Catholic and there are some pretty big things that we disagree on, but I don't feel like either of us have ever had the chance to sit down and ask certain questions about the other person's belief and really understand them and get good answers. Or at least in detail. Yes. And actually fully understand the other person's view. And I think like, okay, when we started this podcast, the very first introduction episode we talked about how it's just important that we talk about things right and so don't listen to this episode thinking that we're debating each other or trying to convince each other because we're not um (laughs) we know we're not going to convince the other person and we are not going into this even wanting to convince the other person the purpose is that we want to have a space where we can ask questions that maybe some people would be sensitive about or offended by and just have this space as like no we both respect the other we both you know think the other person is smart and wise but we want to understand them better and I think it's important because a lot of times we think that if we're having a discussion where we disagree it has to be a debate it has to be where it someone walks away being convinced or being brought to the other side And that's not a healthy way to look at disagreement. It is really good for us to practice disagreeing with the other person where our stance is to listen and understand instead of convince or lecture. So I think that's kind of our perspective going into these two episodes that we're ending our season on. Yeah, and there's a very... There's like an idea that if you disagree with someone on something that is significant that you can't be friends with them and you can't talk about it and it has to be an angry conversation or it has to be offensive if you're just telling someone well actually I do disagree with you on this and it doesn't really have to be that way and I think it takes a level of maturity to be able to disagree with people well yeah and that you know if I am friends with Jackie that I somehow can't support her in her faith because I disagree with her absolutely not I want to encourage Jackie to go to mass to go to confession because that is her faith and for me to discourage her or for her to discourage me well then yeah we wouldn't have a friendship so just because maybe you're not in agreement on certain things you know we recognize we have those core beliefs that we connect and are in agreement on Mm-hmm. And so it's not that we have to convince the other person or discourage them. We can support and be encouraging uh, while still not agreeing. And that's okay. Exactly. And I think it's showing the stance of the Catholic and Protestant church that we are still brothers and sisters in Christ and can mm-hmm. respect each other. And I think that's kind of what we want to do with this conversation and build ecumenicism and it's gonna be great so (laughs) this topic we're starting with as you probably already saw from the title is sola scriptura yeah so obviously if you're in any way familiar with christianity or church history or anything like that this is a pretty common phrase um just you know a quick introduction if you aren't familiar with it this term was brought about during the Protestant Reformation with Martin Luther. Um, There's other solas too, sola de gloria, others like that, but this one definitely is kind of a a big focus, and I would say it's more so the one that maybe there's a clash between Protestants and Catholics, which is why we're kind of bringing that up, because it's sort of a a pivotal point. So I think we wanted just to kind of start with what we agree on. started off on a really nice note Mm -hmm. so Jackie why don't you take that away yes so we both agree that scripture is sacred and infallible and we both believe in the inspiration and authority of scripture and by infallible we mean that we both believe that scripture comes directly from God and it is without any mistake or error that there is nothing in scripture that is false yes and where 
the main difference in that is, is that, so Megan's view, Sola Scriptura, is that scripture is the only infallible source. It is the source. It is formally sufficient for all belief that Christians need to live by. Mm -hmm. Whereas Catholics hold scripture and sacred tradition, capital T tradition, which I will explain further on, as equally binding, equally sources for Catholic belief and the way that we live our lives. And that's a really good distinction that I, even though I was familiar just because I did go to Bible school and I grew up, you know, around people of many different sects of Christianity, it's important just to have that reminder from someone who comes from that tradition and have that explained because even the word tradition is defined differently by Protestants and Catholics. And I think that's where there's so much miscommunication and people talking past each other. Because when I hear tradition, I think church history, like literal history. And when Jackie hears tr- tradition in the terms of the church, that's not the understanding or the picture that is coming to her head. So we could easily have this entire conversation and walk away being completely confused because we're talking past each other. So it's really important when you're having these conversations to even just ask simple questions of what does that word mean exactly so megan do you think maybe i could start by differentiating between material sufficiency and formal sufficiency yeah i think that would be great okay so catholics believe in material sufficiency and megan's view the main protestant view would be formal sufficiency of scripture so material sufficiency which i will put the source for this article that i got this from in the bio Um, It's an article by Mark Shea, a Catholic apologist. He's just explaining the differences. Material sufficiency means that all the bricks necessary to build doctrine is there in scripture. However, it also teaches that since the meaning of scripture is not always clear and that sometimes a doctrine is implied rather than explicit, other things besides scripture have been handed to us from the apostles. Things like sacred tradition, capital T, which he explains in his own words, the mortal mortar that holds the bricks together in the right order and position, and the magisterium or teaching authority of the church. Um, so taken together, these three things, sacred scripture, sacred tradition, and magis- magisterium, which is what interprets scripture and tradition, are formally sufficient for knowing the revealed truth of God. Those who hold to the formal sufficiency of scripture, which would be Megan's view and the main Protestant view, that they would warn that setting scripture in the context of sacred tradition will inevitably put scripture under the church. So they think that everything that we need to, how do I say this, interpret the Bible is in the Bible and we don't need any other infallible source to interpret it. Like it's there and it is clear to us what we need to live by that is binding. Is that how, how would you explain that, Megan? Yeah. So we, it's, it kind of falls under the term, the perspicuity of scripture, meaning that scripture is clear and and we totally recognize and both Jackie and I agree Mm -hmm. that scripture can be completely misinterpreted. I mean, we see that all the time. People twist scripture, they take it out of context. Um, We would see that as more the failing of our fallen nature, but that we believe that the way the Bible is written by God is made completely clear. And if we are in submission to the Holy Spirit and we are genuinely going to the text with the hopes to understand what God is meaning, that we can understand. Yes. And so we would say as Catholics, um, kind of pushing back against that the church would be above scripture, is that sacred tradition, capital T in the magisterium, is never going to say something that is contradictory to scripture. So we think that sacred tradition and scripture go together perfectly. Like we are never going to contradict anything. And a lot of sacred tradition is, all of it is implicitly in scripture. And then it's the magisterium's job to interpret that, to bring that out and dispel any confusion so that we can have consistent beliefs. Whereas and why a lot of Protestants, and Megan would say this, don't agree is that they just don't see all the Catholic beliefs as even being implicitly in Scripture and contradicting Scripture with the way that they are reading it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think it's important to note, too, that we also have slightly different Bibles. <laughs> so that adds another layer of complexity to this. So there's just a lot of things in this conversation that need to be taken into account when we're even beginning to talk about this. Yeah, Megan, so... Um, I asked Megan the question, where in the Bible does it point to Sola Scriptura? And 
I want her to, she can, you know, read some of these verses and then I will respond to them how the Catholics would see those verses. Yeah, so I, one of the first points, maybe I'll just go through the kind of three points I would consider an answer to this, um, is one, that we feel that we are forbidden to add or take away from scripture. Um, and there's a few different verses with that. Um, and then we also see that the term the word of God means explicitly the inspired teachings of God. And so 2 Timothy 3:16 through 17, that is a pr- pretty familiar passage. It's the whole, all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuke, for training up in righteousness, all of that, those things. So we do believe that it's a very good possibility that there was oral teaching that wasn't written down. You know, we know that the culture of when the Bible was even coming about, it was an oral culture. It was things getting passed down by word of mouth. So it is entirely possible that there were teachings that weren't written down, but we believe that scripture is entirely sufficient. So while those other teachings could be helpful, they are not necessary we're not in need of those other teachings in order to be saved. Um, And then, yeah, we believe that only scripture is God-breathed. So even our leaders, our pastors and teachers, we would not believe that they can be inspired by the Holy Spirit in the way that the authors of scripture were. Yes, and I guess the way we would respond to those passages, you know, Megan wrote, we are forbidden to add or take away from scripture, is that we that's not how we would see what we're doing with sacred tradition. We would see that we are developing what is already in the Bible and that we're not teaching anything that is in like in contradiction to the Bible. We're only taking advantage of which we believe in apostolic succession, which is where the Pope come from. We believe that um, Jesus gave us Peter. He, when he said to Peter, like, I will build my church on you, the rock to be this apostolic succession to carry on sacred tradition to correctly interpret the bible and everything you know is based on this on this infallibility of the pope so we wouldn't see anything that we're carrying on in sacred capital t tradition which i'm going to keep saying that which is going to be annoying (laughs) because we also do believe in lowercase t traditions but those can change so it's a very big thing that even catholics get confused on that we have to like be very specific about because it's a huge deal sacred tradition we think is also the living breathing spirit of the holy spirit in the apostles carrying on and correctly leading the church which we would see as rooted in scripture when um jesus gave Peter, the keys to the kingdom, built his church on the rock of Peter. And that's how we interpreted that. Yeah. And I think that the hesitation that a lot of people from my, um, I don't even know the right word, more like the Protestant background would say that um, we do feel that certain Catholic beliefs are extra biblical. Um, And this isn't, I think that this even Jackie and I preparing for this podcast has really helped me understand the level of respect that Catholics have for scripture. It's really easy when you grow up in a very reformed background to think um, kind of like an extreme view that like Catholics don't ever read their Bibles, that they don't like that they would consider the Pope as like more important or cooler and things like that, um, which isn't entirely false. And this has really helped me even see, um, just like the presuppositions that I myself had that, you know, oh, Protestants really love their Bibles and Catholics really love their Pope, uh, which is not true. And so I really appreciate Jackie saying that it's that they don't see the words of the Pope when he speaks of ex cathedra as ever being extra biblical uh, where we would. And so I think that's where that kind of distinction or that moment of separation begins is that uh, we look at certain teachings of popes throughout history as not being correct. So then we would not mm-hmm. adhere to their infallibility. Mm-hmm. And um, I do want to say that a lot of this will be a compliment to Protestants. A lot of Catholics do not know the Bible. And it's less in our culture because, you know, Protestants, all they really have is the Bible. And we, I wouldn't say it's a distraction, but unfortunately, we're not always taught the importance of reading the Bible on our own and really taking that as a part of our prayer because we have the mass and the sacraments and all of that. So I will say, you know, a lot of times it is the Catholics fault that they have this misconception because we don't appreciate the Bible personally enough. I mean, that's kind of 
off but saying it's kind of true that really does happen and it's um very unfortunate because it's not how the catholic church is supposed to be it's not catholic teaching no scripture is very important it is the you know top thing with sacred tradition that we're supposed to live our lives by um and i do the extreme from that is that (laughs) a lot of protestants have a problem with church authority Mm. um and i see this even from my growing up in circles of house churches where people who are hurt by the church will actually leave Mm. any church institution and they will just have essentially bible studies in their homes and they'll call it a church home church and it's a, a, a rejection of church authority and i see that very commonly in protestant circles where we're really mm. individualistic mm-hmm. we feel very wary of church authority and so it's sad but both sides have the it's very easy for them to go to the extreme and it's unfortunate it's human nature you know mm-hmm. you see people on both sides just going off the, the rails and doing yes. things like <laughs> even what you just said i've seen catholics do that it's just human nature being hurt it's it's complex you know mm-hmm. Um, and I do, you were talked about um, ex-cathedral of the Pope. So I do kind of want to bring this up because I think a lot of Protestants misunderstand how we see the Pope's authority. So not everything the Pope says is infallible. Most of what he says, like you'll see you in a press interview, that is not infallible. Uh, <laughs> it's, I mean, we should listen to what he's saying because we respect the Pope and think he's, you know, a very well-learned, devout man. It can be important without being infallible. Hopefully, because there have been some terrible popes. And this is why, thank you, God, the infallibility of the pope is not that even his own personal moral life, the things that he says off the rails, the things that he does in his personal life, have absolutely nothing to do with his infallibility. Thank God, because there have been some just awful popes. And... What his only his only infallibility comes when he's speaking in a very specific manner, either you know in an ecumenical council with like um, the other bishops with him, when he's speaking in this very specific manner of ex cathedra, which the Pope has actually used very rarely. Um, so just not anything the Pope says can be is binding, which I think a lot of people, a lot of Catholics and Protestants don't even know. Which is important to know. <laughs> because that's everything. Because, yeah, a lot of ca- um, Protestants will look at the Catholic Church and the history of the Church, and they will attack papal infallibility by seeing the terrible things that popes have done. Whereas in my view, it is only proving or adding to the... Um, how am I trying to say this? Um, that papal infallibility is true, that the Catholic Church has been able to carry on with all of its teachings intact under these terrible popes. There was a saint that went to Rome and saw what a disaster the Catholic Church was. And when he came back, everyone was like, so you don't want to be Catholic anymore, right? And he was like, no. (laughs) The fact that this church is still going and preserving its teachings (laughs) under these men (laughs) shows that the Holy Spirit has to be behind this and working in this. So that's the way that we reconcile that as Catholics. And... Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's important for me to hear of that. It's it's really like the way you're viewing it is none of their infallibility is coming from themselves. It is only coming from God. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of the hesitation is, you know, when we see evils in history or even just kind of popes speaking off the cuff and saying incorrect things that, you know, we look at their character and say, how in the world could they be the pope (laughs) and so that's a really great way even just for me to more understand your view so earlier we kind of mentioned um just our different views even on the term tradition so maybe we could kind of get into that a little bit so one of the questions jackie asked me was or no sorry this was a question i asked jackie (laughs) is what how does she define tradition um so we do not see tradition there being a, another like a capital T tradition as synonymous with the Holy Spirit so maybe you could kind of explain that a little bit yes so we have lowercase t tradition but capital T sacred tradition we would see is the Holy Spirit um, himself tradition is what the Holy Spirit inspired men who were grounded in we think in scripture and never saying anything contradictory in scripture to develop the dogma and doctrine so we're not changing, but simply developing um, along the way with apostolic succession and what we see in the Bible, especially as we you know, move along in society and things become more 
complicated. So we think sacred tradition comes from Christ. It's the full living gift of Christ to the apostles, faithfully handed down through each generation. It's through tradition that the Holy Spirit makes the risen Lord present among us, offering us the very same saving word and sacraments that he gave to the apostles. And I'm going to quote in Catholic fashion, Pope Benedict, (laughs) thanks to to tradition guaranteed by the ministry of the apostles and their successors, the water of life that flowed from the side of Christ and his saving blood comes to the women and men of all times. In this way, tradition is the permanent presence of the Savior who comes to meet, redeem, and sanctify us in the Spirit through the ministry of the ch- His Church for the glory of the Father. Which, whether you agree or disagree, that's a beautiful way to say that, which is why I quoted him and not me. <laughs> Another point that we see Sola Scriptura as refuting itself in the Catholic Church because we believe that the Bible itself, and I will give Megan the chance to respond because she had a response I'd never heard before, actually. Um, the Bible itself was guided pri- by capital T tradition and the Holy Spirit working through men to pick which books were in the Bible. So before the Bible was even put together, because thankfully we as Christians have this beautiful put together Bible to go by, whereas the early church after Jesus died was just free falling. You know, they were, <laughs> we wouldn't see that actually. They were not because we think the Holy Spirit was given to Peter and Peter was and helping the apostles. and had the apostles <laughs> guiding the church. And that's what we see as sacred tradition is right there is that. Mm-hmm. And like the apostolic succession was those men coming together and guiding the church. And they were the ones that even put together the Bible. So they had the authority to do that, to guide the rest of the church. So we would see that quite literally tradition with a capital T put together the Bible and picked which books are infallible. Men led by the Holy Spirit interpreting interpreted scripture so that we know that these interpretations are true. So we would see Sola Scriptura as refuting itself. And Megan had a very interesting response. Yeah, so what Jackie's talking about, the development of canon, um, the putting together the Bible, looking at like which books belong in the Bible, which books don't. Because there are books like book of Enoch (laughs) that is not in the Bible Mm -hmm. Um, so how did they decide that things like that so we see that whole process we agree that it the entire process was inspired by the Holy Spirit it was at no point a human person just deciding out of their human brain like oh I think this book should go in the Bible so we do see that entire process as being inspired by the Holy Spirit we see that there's a distinction by of being inspired by the Holy Spirit and led by the Holy Spirit So we would see the canon, the development of the canon as inspired, not led by the Holy Spirit. Um, So to kind of like explain that more, I can say that I have been led by the Holy Spirit, (laughs) I would hope, (laughs) you know, and that is what I pray for every day. Like Holy Spirit, lead me in decisions I'm making in you know, just my spiritual walk and the fact that I'm being sanctified like that is such a beautiful gift that God has given us that after Jesus left, he sent his Holy Spirit to help guide us. Um, We believe the Holy Spirit is the one who convicts us, the one who, you know, pierces our hearts so that we run towards repentance. So certainly um, we as Christians are led by the Holy Spirit. Um, But I can't ever say that I've been inspired by the Holy Spirit. I have never had a direct revelation from God to give to someone else. So even our pastors, we see our pastors, I mean, ideally, (laughs) as being led by the Holy Spirit, being very in tune with the Holy Spirit. Um, but they're not inspired. So their words are not directly inspired from the Holy Spirit. And yeah, I'd never heard that before. And I think it's something that we just came to agree to disagree on, which is where we, a lot of these things will end up. (laughs) A lot of things will end up that way because, you know, we're not debating, we're just explaining Mm -hmm. each other's position. So, you know, I would say that, no, I think those men, these men were inspired and, that that, continues. That, that example yes exactly that example of as a perfect exa- example of apostolic succession and the apostles being the given the gift of the holy spirit to have that authority to do so and to yes continue to do so yeah and i think and we'll get into apostolic succession a little more towards the end mm-hmm. but we see that the apostles were given to the early church because they did not have the new testament and that the new testament is our form in, essentially of apostolic succession and mm-hmm. that's like an even an important understanding for mm-hmm. Catholics and Protestants to come to is for we sure. do believe that God didn't just like leave us like, okay, figure it out on your own. We just see that him doing that differently. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
for sure because that would be ridiculous if we and i think that's what a lot of people think he would be a deist at that point exactly. we would be we would be deists um believing that god just kind of set the ball rolling and then doesn't he's not involved and, and neither I mean, of us see that we can agree on exactly. that exactly <laughs> and i think that's what a lot of people will say that the protestant position is which is not a position that you can respect so they just totally demean mm-hmm. protestants and see them which as, i don't blame them yeah. that would be ridiculous <laughs> yeah. and arrogant honestly if i believed mm-hmm. that just me on my own could somehow figure out the bible and figure out being a christian like oh my goodness <laughs> what a burden but also that would be arrogance yeah and so yeah i think another thing that we can get into is the way that we see this is that without this there are only especially throughout history so after the bible has been so you know now it's put together and we have the bible yeah, we have the established canon <laughs> yes that we see only fallible men trying to interpret scripture which is not always clear on all issues which is where that material and formal sufficiency comes in because we think that everything we need to build the blocks of church teaching are in scripture but that we need you know the sacred tradition the magisterium to interpret that for us and this is something i've just always thought and i want to give megan the chance to respond because it's something that actually really bothers her um <laughs> i and i still kind of hold this view which you know is something where attention that we just have to agree to disagree on that i think it's been kind of a tragedy that this has happened and that we're not all under the pope anymore because we're so split and divided and we have so many different denominations that believe so many like different things i mean there's thousands of protestant denominations and if we had all stayed under the pope that would not be the case which i'll let yeah megan respond now to that sure so like this is a common and i'm not accusing jackie of this but it's a common jab (laughs) no i genuinely don't think you're attacking me Um, but it is kind of a common jab that i've heard from catholics who most likely don't understand protestants um just kind of throw at us as like a way of discrediting everything that we believe is like oh because there's um, divisiveness or variety of thought that that means that you know our position is somehow without a foundation um and i would i would agree that having so many denominations is a problem and actually if you ask most protestants they would agree i mean we don't want (laughs) to have all of these divisions of thought it is unfortunate that if when there's disagreement people just go off and start their own church that's not how it's supposed to be and not most of us who are being led by the holy spirit to go back to that would not do that we would say that no the bible calls us for unity um but humans aren't perfect you know and there is sin and we see this as not a result of god you know um not providing us with an infallible source it is that we as fallen human beings are going to screw it up (laughs) and so on this side of heaven there will always be division and i guess i would push back and say that there is intellectual diversity within the catholic church um And so it's kind of a false equivalency to say like, oh, Protestants disagree on all these different things and there's so much division and Catholics all are on the same page, all agree with everything. You know, we all know that isn't true. (laughs) Humans definitely are perfect. There's a lot of Catholics who either mistakenly believe incorrect things that, you know, contradict Catholic teaching or purposely you know, just decide, well, I don't like that teaching, so I'm not going to adhere to it. So that intellectual diversity, I feel, does exist with the Catholic Church. It's just a little less obvious. You know, we have all these denominations. Um, and I think it's important, too, to recognize our roots, right? So the Reformation came about because lay people didn't have access to the Holy Bible. They relied on the church to interpret and read scripture for them. They were essentially illiterate. Um, and Which was bad. Yeah. And we can all recognize, I don't think anyone would say, like, no, that's how it should be. Um, but Luther and many others saw this as a major issue because we believe that God has given scripture to all of his people, not just our leaders. Um, and also this was leading to the church having too much power in manipulating the people. Um, mm-hmm. For instance, mm-hmm. telling them that they had to buy indulgences in order to get to heaven and things like that because the people couldn't even refute their interpretation of the Bible because they didn't have a Bible to read. 
Um, and so this is why we tragically see in history, you know, the church martyring Jan Hus or William Tyndale, literally just because they were trying to bring the Bible to us. So naturally, when you think about our roots, we are going to be individualistic and divided. And I think it's unfortunate, but it's only natural, you know, that knowing where we're coming from, that that would kind of be the result. Um, and it also makes sense that we hold on to scripture as tightly as we do. Um, because, you know, that's people died to give that to us. So I do totally think that as Protestants, we should be praying for unity. Um, but I don't see this as a thing that Catholics or Orthodox or any of those kind of sects um, need to constantly use against us as a way of discrediting our beliefs. Um, because we could all do with more unity. You know, we all have division and that's why the bible speaks so much about that divisions within the church um and we should all be striving for unity mm-hmm. for sure and i think I, we could do a whole podcast episode maybe we will in the next season on the reformation because a lot of what did have the catholic church was doing was wrong and they only contributed a lot of you know sinful leaders unfortunately that's what we have that make a lot of mis- uh, mistakes and very sinful to the splitting of the church so it wasn't all just protestants being like we well, don't want to listen to this so we're just going to push back um you know the the fact that the church split at the time is not all on martin luther there were a lot of things the catholic church was doing that were wrong and where i think we wish we it would have ended is that we would have gotten rid of those gotten rid of those practices that were not Catholic were not rooted in sacred tradition which you know selling indulgences which was condemned and we don't do that anymore and we think that was very wrong um, and that we would have you know come to some kind of agreement which I think on you know both sides we're just being the horrible humans that right. we can be and it led to that division that we're it couldn't just end there and we you know build and um, instead of reform there was yes a split. moving forward there was a split instead of moving and evolving and actually staying in line with uh, Catholic teaching Um, And I guess my response would be that there is room to disagree in the Catholic faith on certain things. You know, we've been given room. Not everything is explicit dogma. Not everything is doctrine, which is binding. There are some things that are just teachings that can change um, and that we can have things that we can disagree on that the church doesn't have an explicit laid out position on. But I would still say that if you do explicitly deny Catholic dogma slash doctrine, even if you say you're Catholic, you're not. <laughs> and I kind of, I still kind of stand by my point because I think that the fact that we don't have any denominations is kind of the point that I'm making. There's no room for that in the Catholic church. You can't have different Catholic denominations and they can't just go off and start their own churches and they have, but we wouldn't consider them Catholic anymore. Um, they wouldn't be under the Pope, and they are excommunicated in that way. Um, our church teaching and tradition has been passed down and, you know, has not changed. I, I would say that there's just a lot more that I appreciate and I'm thankful for order and very laid out, explicit teaching that we're all bound to, that if you do stray, then you are not a Catholic anymore, and, you know, you're, you're not under the Pope. And we're all still very united because we have, you know, we have this like beautiful laid out catechism and just things very in order that it's very easy for us to know what is true and we, what we think are very important teachings where there's more leeway in Protestantism to disagree on these things. Whereas I'm like, well, these are very important teachings that we believe are people need to know what the position is and humans are not smart enough or, well, I, I don't know, led enough to make those decisions on their own. So that's just the way that I would see it. And I know Megan mm-hmm. sees it differently. But I can appreciate mm-hmm. that because, mm-hmm. you know, even I don't <laughs> I don't enjoy people disagreeing with me. And I don't mm-hmm. enjoy mm-hmm. when I do firmly believe a certain doctrine and someone just believes a different doctrine. Like, that's not fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you don't like that. Of course, I want them to believe what I believe. And so I can completely appreciate that. Mm-hmm. I think, um, you know, we've kind of discussed or, you know, the views of the Pope speaking ex cathedra. Jackie explained that super well. Um, But an issue that I think a lot of Protestants Mm -hmm. have is that we see that saying that the Pope is like the true interpreter of scripture is to put his authority higher than God's word. And Jackie mentioned this earlier with the whole formally sufficient. Um, But we see the Pope as human, that his words are fallible, 
that it's very obvious have been an error many times um yeah so what would be kind of your response i think my response would be the pope has been an heir but never on anything that should be binding to the people which is why he has that power and so we would say that so the whole you know the scripture itself is the holy spirit speaking through men we would see the pope's role is literally the holy spirit speaking through him so we wouldn't see the pope as being above god we would see the pope as an instrument and a gift from god mm-hmm. to his people so yeah i would just say that the pope is never going to say something when it's very binding you know in accordance with all of the bishops um that is against that is above god or against scripture and that it is almost this you know it's the spirit speaking through him when what he's saying is binding because he certainly has said things popes have said things that were <laughs> not not good but that wasn't binding to us or him using his special gift given by um, god to the seat of peter and that's really helpful for me and one thing that i do really appreciate about catholicism or even you know orthodox is the deep respect for the church and for tradition and i'm speaking obviously of lowercase t tradition um and i do see this as a failing in a lot of protestant denominations is um either a a disregard of where we've come from or just not a great knowledge um we're not we're very well read when it comes to the bible not very well read when it comes to church fathers and so i appreciate and i do see that tradition should give us boundaries to use scripture to understand our church teachings and traditions. Um, And Jackie was confused about this, so I guess to better explain it um, as an example, the church fathers are extremely valuable to us. We should not disregard them. Even though they weren't inspired, which neither of us believe, it's really wise to glean from saints who have come before us. For example, there's so much I can learn from Augustine. He has such beautiful teachings. Um, I can also disagree on his views on women (laughs) because they were terrible. (laughs) We both do. (laughs) But he wasn't inspired, so that's okay. Um, So we should honor the tradition of the church, our history, where we have come from, the councils, all of those things, insofar as we should not accept someone just randomly showing up with an entirely new view. And I see a lot of harm that has been done to the church Um, I hope this doesn't make a ton of people mad, but with like affirming churches where this is a very new view that homosexuality is accepted in scripture. And so I think that comes from a danger of not properly or deeply knowing our history and our tradition um, Mm -hmm. because our tradition or what we would call church Mm -hmm. history, it should inform where we come from and how doctrines are developed and I love creeds and councils, all of that. I think that is so like so important to learn about. And it's informative and helps us understand our church teachings. We would just say that it's not on the same level or on par with the Holy Spirit because we don't have that capital T tradition. So I did want to add that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's helpful for me to hear for sure and understand more of Megan's view. Yes, so I think a common phrase that a lot of Catholics that we look at is um, John 21, verse 25. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. And that's where we would see that apostolic secession coming in as well to carry on things that weren't necessarily written down clearly for us to know and live by. And I'll let Megan respond to that. Yeah, so a common misunderstanding is that Sola Scriptura does not claim that everything Jesus or the apostles ever taught is preserved in scripture. I mean, even we look at like the Sermon on the Mount, there's no way that that was word for word Jesus's sermon because in scripture, it talks about how long his sermon was, and we can easily read the Sermon on the Mount super quickly. So clearly, not everything was preserved or written down. What we believe is that everything necessary or binding on our consciousness um, that God requires of us to believe is given to us in explicitly in scripture. Um, so 
the fact that Jesus was fully God and fully man, the fact that God created the world, that Jesus died for our sins and rose again, like just those really foundational things. Um, and we do recognize that there are situations that are far more complex. I mean, Jackie brought this up when we were, you know, kind of talking about this before recording, that there are situations more complex or things that are not explicitly in scripture. Um, I would totally agree. That's why we have a distinction between dogma and doctrine. Dogma being those foundational beliefs required to be a Christian, that if you deny any one of them, you're <laughs> on your own. <laughs> but there is doctrine where we see that there is a leeway or room to disagree because we're fallen and we believe that even though God has made his scripture clear, we put our blinders on and we blind ourselves. Mm-hmm. And this is something, yeah, we just had to agree to disagree on because in my view I just think in certain situations there should be no room to disagree especially if the effects of disagreeing are harmful for the person and I feel like God gave us the Catholic Church you know the Pope's infallibility because the Catholic Church really is just fleshed out so much for us Um, you look at the catechism it's just so expansive on these very specific beliefs that are not explicitly laid out for us in scripture obviously you know as time goes on there are things that come up we're like well what do we do with this (laughs) is this okay and we would see the catholic church just really truly guiding us on what is what should be actually allowed so it's something we just yeah for sure because also you know hermeneutically Mm -hmm. um when i read this passage of scripture I don't see it meaning that there are other more binding things that have been written down. Mm -hmm. I see Mm -hmm. it as John is saying, you know, his was the last gospel written. And so there is a temptation for people to believe it's like the final word. (laughs) And he was saying, no, this is not the entirety of Christ's story. You know, don't take this and believe it above everything else. Um, That's how we kind of interpret that passage. Mm -hmm. So, Jackie, why don't you just maybe go into a little bit like of a summary of your view regarding Sola Scriptura. Okay, so as obviously as Catholics, we don't believe that the Bible itself teaches Sola Scriptura, obviously because we we don't believe in it. Um, And Vatican II and a document called Lumen Gentium says, to ensure the success of this mission, Christ gave his church the ability to teach, govern, and sanctify with Christ's own authority. The apostles appointed successors to ensure that the gospel would continue to be handed on faithfully as the lasting source of all life for the church. The purpose of this authority is to give the church the ability to teach without error about the essentials of salvation. We see um, in Matthew 16, verse 8, On this rock I will build my church, and the powers of death shall not prevail against it, which I can get more into later when we talk about apostolic succession. Um, Catholics would agree with Protestants that scripture is a standard of truth, even the preeminent one, but not in a sense that rules out the binding authority of authentic apostolic capital T tradition and the church. We don't think the Bible teaches that. Catholics agree that scripture is materially sufficient. In other words, on this view, which I think I've talked about, every true doctrine can be found in the Bible, if only implicitly and indirectly by deduction, but no biblical passage teaches that scripture is the formal authority or rule of faith in isolation from the church and capital T tradition. Sola Scriptura can't be deduced from implicit passages. Um, So we think that the Bible and capital T tradition led by the magisterium are all necessary to arrive at truth. And if you take away any of those, you just, the whole thing collapses. You have no way to really truthfully um, interpret scripture. And then, so yeah, Megan can define her view now of Sola Scriptura because she was thinking that I wasn't properly defining it. So let me. Yeah, and I th- not you necessarily. <laughs> necessarily. Catholic um, Church's view. Yeah. <laughs> Just in general, I think the Catholic Church has a lot of misunderstanding about what Sola Scriptura is. So just to make it super easy and clear um, and use not my words, but just our catechism, the definition is sola scriptura is a theological doctrine that the Christian scriptures are the sole infallible source of authority for Christian faith and practice, meaning that scripture is the perfect and only standard of spiritual truth, revealing infallibly all that we must believe in order to be saved and all we must do in order to glorify God. Um, Quoting the Westminster Confession of Faith, 
the whole counsel of God concerning all things necessary for his own glory, man's salvation, faith, and life is either expressly set down in scripture or by good and necessary consequence may be deduced from scripture, unto which nothing at any time is to be added, whether by new revelations of the spirit or traditions of men. Um, so we do believe that sola scriptura um, is taught in the Bible. Um, I can maybe put in our bio just kind of some of the classic verses that we use to back that up. Um, but this is where it's going to get spicy. We don't think the Bible teaches apostolic succession. One passage being 1 Corinthians 4, 6, which goes that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against the other. Um, so just in how we look at church history, we see that this theory of apostolic succession, succession excuse me, was developed um, in the second century as a response. So in AD 170 to 200, as a response to Gnostics who were claiming that they had special knowledge or a secret tradition handed to them from the apostles. And Gnostics, both of us would believe are heretics. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they have a lot of books that they claim are, it's, yeah, we could do a whole <laughs> podcast about Gnosticism. Really, we both could Which just, is still alive and well today, We could go after it. <laughs> so it was a response to that. These Gnostics were saying, oh, you think you're special? Well, we have this secret tr- like <laughs> knowledge that only God gave us. Um, so it was a response to that saying, no, we clearly need an infallible source. Um, and so we don't see this terminology um, of succession found in the New Testament. Obviously, that's just going to be agreed to disagree kind of situation. Mm-hmm. Um, but we see it as absent in both the New Testament and the Septuagint. And that all early succession lists were compiled late in the second century and that the idea is absent in the first century. Um, so like I said earlier, it's essentially we believe that the real successor to the apostles is the New Testament itself, since it continues their ministry within the church. So the apostles were given to the early church because they did not have the developed canon, and once that canon was developed, that then continues the ministry. Um, so to continue Jackie's analogy, we see it as the Bible as our foundation, not necessarily a leg of a stool, like a three-legged stool. Um, We see church authority and tradition grounded in this foundation, and without that, they're weak and without substance. Yes, and we would disagree that if it, you know, is in contradiction to scripture, then it's totally weak and without substance. So, yeah, I think we agree more than we think. Mm -hmm. It's just the way that it played out or and we interpret it it's, yeah, I just, when I read what Megan says, I'm like, well, we, we would agree right? <laughs> that by new, we don't think there are new revelations of the spirit coming out when uh, we're teaching from sacred tradition. We think all of that, you know, started with Peter, which was by Jesus in the Bible. Um, and so it's not new revelations. It's simply the, like, we would see the development of our doctrine, you know, guided by the magisterium as a seed and then the tree growing it's not like we're taking these new seeds that we had and just you know planting them around and having these new revelations by the spirit we see it's all just evolving from what jesus came and said and taught and explicitly um in scripture or implicitly in scripture which then is guided and led by sacred tradition and the magisterium so i think yeah we agree more than we think except for we do think the Bible teaches apostolic succession. And our main passage for that is Matthew uh, 16, verses 18 through 19, where Jesus says to Peter, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the powers of death shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And so we, yeah, we do see Peter was the first pope. We call it the seed of Peter, and we think he is a gift. Um, scripture testifies to this meaning of Catholic tradition as the normal mode of transmitting the faith. Um, we see in 2 Thessalonians um, 2, verse 15, So then, brethren, stand firm and hold to the traditions which you were taught by us, either by word of mouth or by letter, which... Um, Megan would have. A yeah. Once again, to that. this just comes to that mm-hmm. <laughs> like disagreement mm-hmm. where we mm-hmm. read traditions in that verse 
in the context of by word or letter, meaning the apostles inspired words, um, which the epistles were letters that were inspired. So the Bible is what we're holding on to. Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily a tradition in the sense of, Mm -hmm. once again, capital T, Catholic tradition. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess, and I kind of explained this, you know, with that analogy of the seed growing to the tree, and we see it as, as, as evolving, not just adding these new extra biblical teachings, which I guess, you know, is something we have to agree to disagree on, which perhaps we, you know, can get more of those specific beliefs um, in further episodes and come to understand each other better on that. But we would just see scripture and tradition complementing and confirming each other. Mm -hmm. Um, And that we don't think we're just adding things and we don't think any teachings of the church contradict scripture. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I hope that this conversation kind of helps you in you know, your conversations with people that you disagree with, um, but that you also respect. I think mm-hmm. that more conversations like this have to happen in order for us to have more unity. Um, and that it's really only when you sit down with someone from that other view and talk to them <laughs> that mm-hmm. you'll actually get an accurate understanding. Because I can read books, even written by Catholics, alone in my bedroom and think I'm understanding them but oh my goodness it would be so much better if I were to read them with Jackie or just asking Jackie those questions because she's actually Catholic and she Mm -hmm. can explain it to me better than my brain can interpret it so that's what we want to encourage with these episodes that we're doing where we disagree is that this is something that we should be doing often I think in order to come to a better understanding of the other person I agree I think this was good for both of us you know we wrote wrote out both of things these things but it was even more helpful to hear the other person really explain it in person Mm -hmm. and I think that's a way that we're going to come to more unity between the Catholic and Protestant church is really sitting down and talking to each other about our different books and what we believe because there's just so much more that we agree Mm-hmm. with or even if we disagree we're like oh I actually see how you think that though and even yeah. though we believe you know Megan and I both believe in objective truth you know Christians mm-hmm. do believe in objective objective truth so we think that one person is wrong but I just have a lot more respect for Megan's belief I see what she's saying and in my brain you know before I would see Sola Scriptura and I was like that is ridiculous how do you yeah. even think that <laughs> and now when Megan explains it I'm like no I actually I see how you think that and I think we actually agree more than we thought even though we don't you know obviously don't fully agree but i think this is so good and that's why i think you should talk about it yeah let's go out there and talk about it